everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for being with us today. My name is Tracy Siska. I'm your host. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. Check out chicagojustice.org, our website for all the information about our transparency and accountability work, ongoing litigation, the fact that we're expanding around the country. All of that is there for you. Um, yeah, and it's a brand new website, so you can give us feedback on what do you think, what you think of the design. Okay, so today we're talking about several things. Shot spotter analysis from the MacArthur Justice Foundation. The Chicago Tribune's horrific, horrible, unbelievably bad Tribune foot pursuit policy story that published today, I believe. The social media fails. This is a new segment we're going to be running, and we're featuring Alderman Lopez, who has a lot of social media fails. A lot of fails, period, but God, does he like failing on social media. We're going to talk about the mayor coming up short on reform, 720 days, and she's got a good goose egg to show for police reform. Then after the break, we're going to talk about vaccinated cops and the issue about not trusting government from the government agency of police. It's pretty funny. Uh, we're going to talk about an uh, article from the Chicago Reader about youth carjacking numbers, and then we're going to end on a <laughs> rather unbelievable story from Fox 32 about firearm trafficking really wonder if a robot wrote that story okay what you're gonna what you obviously do not see on that list if you've been paying attention to what's going on today in chicago and in the justice system we are aware of these things but between the time of us getting the story the show ready and prepared and things breaking news you know breaking news we don't have time to prep them i don't want to do things fast if i don't have to so Yes, we are aware that Sidney Roberts, the Chief Administrator of the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, has resigned, or I think today, or at least they announced it today. Uh, we will cover this on Friday. Yes, we are aware that State Attorney Kim Fox released some version of the completed investigation into what happened around the Adam Toledo court appearance um, issues or what, are, what is bond hearing. Um, and that the second in charge of that office has resigned, effective, I think, today. That'll be on Friday's show. And yes, we are aware that Tribune did a story that Mayor Lightfoot has uh, named a new deputy chief of staff for public safety, John O'Malley, who comes from his policing experiences in the marshal's office. Um, he was also on the Chicago Police Board, which is probably where they became friends. He was in a corporate security job before Lightfoot brought him back. Um, out of that, don't know what his great um, experience is for that job. We will talk about that on Friday also. And next week, we're hopefully going to be uh, bringing to you his votes while he's on the police board. If you're interested in information on the police board, go to our transparency website at cpbinfocenter.org. And you can get all board's members since 1998, all their votes, all the charges filed with the board, all the decisions. It's all there for you. Okay, so back to regular programming. The first, Our first segment today is this story from the Chicago Tribune. Headline reads, Documents. Document shows Chicago police development of new foot chase policy in the wake of high-profile fatal police shootings by Jeremy Gorner and Ann Sweeney. Okay, now I'm going to read you, we're going to go over some of the content of this article, but I'm going to read you some quote, the, the main quote that I find just astonishing. Think about why this article was published. 
okay? If you read the headline, they have documents that are, have content that are absolutely making up the new policy or they have the new policy, right? So here's a quote from that story. Chicago Superintendent David Brown this week said he had a draft of a new policy in hand. The document obtained by the Tribune appears to contain possible elements of, a, of such a policy now under study. May contain elements possibly under study. So you don't have it. You have some document that was handed to you from someone internally, but you have no idea. You cannot confirm anything in the document you've been handed is in the actual policy that Brown has that has been drawn up. You're kind of hoping it might be maybe, who knows, kind of possible, sort of. What the hell are you doing? If you, you, if you don't have the goods, don't publish the story. The maybe possibly elements, no, bullshit. Don't publish the story. It's kind of ridiculous. Okay, but let's go um, to some of the content of what these guidelines may possibly, almost sort of, maybe praying it may be. Because it's not good. It's not good. The guidelines being studied essentially call for officers to make more careful decisions about chasing suspects, especially without backup, and only when they have legal justification to stop or arrest a person. Wait a minute. So you're telling me it's okay currently for officers to chase people that they don't have legal justification to stop or arrest? Because if you're making a rule that they have to have legal justification, it means currently they don't have to have legal justification to stop or arrest them, to pursue them on foot. Does that make any sense? What the hell are they talking about? The next one. Proposing officers not separate from their partners during chases unless there are exigent circumstances. That makes sense. That makes some sense. A little bit. What are exigent circumstances? I don't understand. I don't think they know. Um, but, okay, not the worst idea, but you got to remember, ladies and gentlemen, these things happen in seconds. How are they going to register all this? Next. Make attempts to contain those being pursued to cordon off areas if possible with the help of additional police resources. Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, I know we threw a bunch, they threw a bunch of words at you, but what does that actually mean? So at the moment the person runs, you're supposed to stop and make a decision about whether or not you can use additional cars and additional officers to kind of cordon off an area. Okay. I, I don't think that's going to work, but it, okay. When engaging in a foot pursuit, officers will assess the risk to the public, to themselves, and to the fleeing suspect in relation to law enforcement's duty to enforce the law and apprehend the subject. What does that mean? operationalize that how does that happen on the street in a matter of two three four seconds whether you're going to chase the person or not i i don't understand 
According to the document, officers, so this is the next one, according to the document, officers should be asked to consider the number of suspects and available police presence in a situation before beginning a foot chase. Whether the suspect is thought or known to be armed, the severity of the alleged crime committed, the availability of backup officers and radio communications, and the officer's familiarity with the area. Officers could be could be asked to consider the number of suspects. So you don't know if this is in the policy or they're going to change the policy. I don't really understand. Officers could be asked. This just means this was some document somewhere and they have no idea. The reporters have no idea if this is actually in the policy, but damn, do they want to write about this? Um, and seem like they may possibly, maybe, sort of, kind of have an inside document. I agree the officer should look at... Um, their familiarity with the area. Whether it's the person's armed or not. Um, interesting. We'll get to a couple more and then I'm going to give you my real big feelings. Other factors include an assessment of whether the foot chase would occur in a residential, commercial, or school zone. Weather conditions, lighting, time of day, and if the ground is unsteady, the document states. Okay. So, the school zone I kind of get. So, it's going to depend if it's residential or commercial, whether or not you chase the person. Raining? You do or you don't? dark light you do or you don't it's very vague right it's all vagaries this is all vagueness um i don't know if there's nothing concrete here let me get to the last one police supervisor meanwhile should opt to order a foot chase stopped if they believe there's a safety there's a safety risk to the officer and the public according to the document supervisors was also supervisors should also respond to a scene where a foot chase result Results in an arrest or when containment tactics are needed to find a fleeing suspect. Okay. What I don't understand here is there's, these are not, this is like what you would draw up. Like if, so, if the CPD was sitting around, the CPD leaders were sitting around at uh, a, a table spitballing things. These are some of the things they would come to. They would discuss. There's no doubt about it. So they're right there. But at the same time, they would be, they have to have more concrete things like this. How about don't chase anyone if you're not, don't engage in a foot pursuit, hypothetically, for any suspect that is not around, uh, related, uh, you have um, probable cause to think they committed a felony, a violent felony, and there's likelihood of an imminent threat to yourself or the public if this person isn't apprehended immediately. That's pretty cut and dry. That would cut out a lot of car, a lot of foot pursuits. That is kind of what you're getting at when you're looking at car pursuits. Which, by the way, have a longer runway, which means they typically take longer. 
Um, if you look at the Adam Toledo foot pursuit and reading everything that I read here, I don't see anything that would stop the foot pursuit, top the Toledo foot pursuit at all. And I've told you from the beginning that that ain't going to change. And, and from looking at some of this stuff, that seems right. That would have never changed. I know people want that change. It isn't going to happen. Um, the other problem with this witch, Sweeney and Gorner, who I, I think there's, this article probably shouldn't have been written, especially the way it was written. It shouldn't have been published. Either you get the policy or you don't. Don't get the notes of some meeting six months ago or a year ago, and they have a policy, and you have no idea what's in it. If this was six, nine months ago, it'd be fine. Not now. It's a joke. But, but, but. The interesting thing they brought up is they reviewed Dallas's the foot pursuit in Dallas, right? Because uh, Brown was a superintendent or chief or whatever there for four or five years, excuse me. Um, and it basically mirrors the new this. Some of these talking points here mirror what's in this Dallas one. In the most important piece that came out in this article, because there wasn't a lot, so that wasn't a, it was a low bar. But the most important one was there's no discipline related to officers who don't buy, abide by the policy. That's right. No discipline attached. You would have thought we'd have learned something. That's not good. These are not concrete. If this is, if this is, remotely close to what's drafted now, we're, we're in big trouble. There's no way an officer's going to run those 100 things through them. I understand. Like, how about the, the offender's armed and you lost sight of them as a reason to kill a foot pursuit? In the, and I'm to, no, in the Alvarez, Anthony Alvarez shooting, when we've covered it here before on the show, that officer lost, lost sight of him. The, the kid was turned around a house. And when the officer circled out, he lined up Alvarez and shot him in the back. And it seems to appear for no reason. And the officers heard on the body camera saying, flat out, was he going to ambush me? Well, if you had a foot pursuit rule, when you're chasing someone with a gun, unless they're an imminent threat to someone, and, and Alvarez was not an imminent threat to anyone at any point in that pursuit, um, if you if it's not an imminent threat and you lose sight of them, the foot pursuit must stop. Anthony Alvarez would be alive today, most likely. The officer would not be on desk duty for 30 days. He's going to be stripped. Well, we'll see because Sidney Roberts, the head of COPA, has resigned. But he's most likely going to be stripped of his powers. He may be um, fired. He may be prosecuted. I don't. From what we have seen so far, I don't think the shooting's justified. Um, but those kinds of hard, hard, steadfast, clear guidelines is what's needed. This vagary is not going to happen. Is not. I mean, it, it might happen. It just isn't going to do any good. It's really, really bad news. Okay. Speaking of some news, we're going to move on to our second segment, which is. Hold on. Let me get back to this. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I got a little setup to do. So. Um, the headline is ShotSpotter creates thousands of dead-end police deployments that find no evidence of actual gunfire. This is a news story that we're about to watch from CBS2. Megan Hickey, 
I'm going to play the whole thing. It's 550, runs just about six minutes because I want to talk about several aspects of it. I have, and I voiced them a little bit earlier, we're going to go more in depth tonight. I have my issues with the shot, with the analysis that was done by the MacArthur Justice Center. Um, I think there's some context missing. I am not a fan of shot spotter. Um, I don't think, I don't, there's no good evidence on either side, either on shot spotter side or the activist legal side that whether or not shot spotter works. There's a un, there's an attempt by abolitionists, which CJP is not. There's an attempt by abolitionists to say the Adam Toledo pursuit and the fact that cops are even called is horrible. And it's not on either, either side, right? Just quickly, Adam Toledo, the, the man he was with, whose name I don't remember, he shot at a car that night at eight, and he fired like eight rounds at a car occupied, moving car that was occupied. Shot spotter noticed it, called the police. So in that time, and then alerted the police, shot spotter worked. Besides the fact that they got three, at least three follow-up 911 calls. Um, so the cops were going there anyways. I think there's plenty of issues with ShotSpotter. Let's go into the segment and then um, we'll come back on the other side and we'll talk about it. Chicago's $33 million contract with ShotSpotter, a high-tech gunshot detection system that sends police hunting for gunfire in seconds. With accusations, it doesn't work and targets certain communities. The MacArthur Justice Center at Northwestern University is asking a Cook County judge to examine its reliability for court cases. CBS2 investigator Megan Hickey on if it's worth the price. semi-automatic and then they switch to full. By now you may have noticed these sensors. They're deployed over 117 square miles of the city spanning 12 police districts. Shot spotter. It senses gunshots fired in the area. Shot spotter uses a series of microphones and sensors to detect gunfire. Officers responded to a shot spotter alert near Spalding and Ohio Street. And in recent years has become a crucial tool for the Chicago Police Department. Because shot spotter is so accurate in real time, the officers can actually, they arrive to the scene somewhere between five and seven minutes before a 911 call. The technology has helped law enforcement get victims help sooner, identify witnesses and collect important evidence. But it's also been the genesis for some dangerous, even tragic encounters. You heard the train screech, like come to a screech and stop and it was like, Wow. On a cold December night in 2018, a 26-year-old man fired test shots into the air on the city's south side. Shot spotter alert. But shot spotter picked up the sound of the shots, and that's why officers Gary and Marmalejo were dispatched. Sparking a chain of events that ended with two Chicago police officers being fatally hit by a train that they didn't hear coming. There was about seven or eight gunshots fired uh, on the 2300 block of South Sawyer. Shotspotter also brought police to Little Village on March 29th. Within five minutes of the 2.36 a.m. alert, Officer Eric Stillman shot and killed 13-year-old Adam Toledo. The still frame of Toledo's hands up in the air right before the shot made ripples across the country. So here's the question. 
While it can be an incredibly useful tool, does ShotSpotter create more opportunities for dangerous and sometimes tragic outcomes? One important thing about ShotSpotter... Jonathan Manis of the MacArthur Justice Center says yes. It's clear that the, the system creates a sort of powder keg situation. Manis's team analyzed OEMC ShotSpotter data from July 2019 through April 2021 and found that well over 85% of ShotSpotter-initiated police deployments in Chicago turn up no evidence of any reportable incident or crime, let alone gun crime. So the police are going into that situation expecting to find somebody who's armed and who has just fired a gun. And if nine times out of ten um, they end up finding nothing, I mean, that creates a pretty dangerous situation for anybody who happens to be in the vicinity. Manez also notes that the majority of cameras are installed in neighborhoods with largely black and Latinx populations. It exacerbates the sort of racialized and aggressive patterns of policing. The Office of the Cook County Public Defender has also probed ShotSpotter's effectiveness in Chicago, citing a lack of independent testing into the rate of false positives, which is why their lawyers have recently filed legal challenges to the admissibility of ShotSpotter evidence in criminal trials. Two other studies, one in St. Louis and another in Philadelphia, found that gunshot detection systems do not result in reductions in violent crime. So in your opinion, do you think that the ShotSpotter system is worth $33 million of, of taxpayer money. I think it's hard to justify spending $33 million on a tool that uh, sends police hunting for non-existent gunfire uh, almost nine times out of ten. But that decision won't be up to researchers. It's in the hands of the Chicago City Council. Alderman Christopher Taliaferro is the chair of the Public Safety Committee. Uh, we can't blame ShotSpotter uh, for what happened to Mr. Toledo. Um, you know, we do need police reform and we are still in the process of reforming our police department. Talia Farrow, a former police officer himself, says the ShotSpotter technology performed as it should have the night that Adam Toledo was killed. It's what happened after that should be scrutinized. Do you believe ShotSpotter is worth taxpayer money? I do. I do believe because we're saving lives with it. The technology also aids our police department in it, being able to attend victims uh, much sooner. Today, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was in agreement, believing the benefits outweigh the drawbacks highlighted by the MacArthur Justice Center. Obviously, like with any contract, we need to make sure that we are continually evaluating it to making sure that we're getting the best bang for our buck. Chicago police declined to make anyone available for an interview on this topic, but in a statement said in part, ShotSpotter has detected hundreds of shootings that would have otherwise gone unreported. The Chicago Police Department's expansion of ShotSpotter is helping us reduce crime and make our neighborhoods safer. ShotSpotter has a contract with about 100 U.S. cities, including Miami, San Francisco, Las Vegas, and New York. ShotSpotter also declined our request for an on-camera interview, although we did send those top-line findings from the MacArthur Justice Center well in advance of this story running. ShotSpotter spokesperson didn't specifically address those bullet points, but sent us a statement saying, in part, our technology fills the gap when nationally nearly 80% of gunfire isn't reported to 911, deploying officers to crime in real time, saving lives. In the loop, Megan Hickey, CBS2 Investigators. Okay, so we're back. Um, first of all, Megan Hickey, saying, using your own words to say it's a crucial tool for police in Chicago. 
you should quote them saying that, but don't just ferret it back like it is. The, um, the jury is out for sure. And as the report says, it has been problematic in areas. ShotSpotter doesn't release any data, so it's very hard to track it. They basically, in the contracts, make sure they control as much of the data about what it does as possible. They don't want people looking at it. It is not 95%. It may, it may be 95% accurate in that it picks up 95% of the gunfire that I would believe, maybe even higher. But what it doesn't do is as well as it should is distinguish between other sounds and gunfire. Um, that is really where the problem is. I don't get this report from Megan Hickey because the couple of examples they used at the, the CTA one where the cops got hit by the train and Adam Toledo, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, those were shootings. What the people at MacArthur Justice are talking about is that there's fireworks or something going off and this computer system is telling it the cops it's a shooting there and they go rush there and there's bad, bad results. Um, but that's not what Madam Hickey, she tried to allude to dangerous situations. Yeah, shootings are dangerous. That's why we employ cops. Um, I'm sorry. That's one of the reasons. So, yes, um, I'm kind of lost to why she showed those examples are kind of meaningless. Toledo, once again, red hearing. Um, don't go down that um, rabbit hole. I was kind of shocked about Lightfoot and Talafario so committed to that $33 million dollars. Um, Lightfoot's bullshit, and that's what it was. It was BS about we're going to look at that contract like we do with all others. No, she's not. No, that's just, it's it's um, bad. Real quick, um, before we go on to a couple of the um, images from the analysis that the MacArthur Justice Center did, it's not a, de they don't give you detailed um, uh, methodology as much as we would like, but it's, it's not terrible, it just isn't um, as good as it could be. Last thing I want to talk about, Jonathan Maines, Maines, which is how I think you pronounce his name from MacArthur Justice. It asks police hunting non-existent gunfire. Possible. And maybe we don't need to spend the money. That's also possible and probably more probable. I would have liked more, um, more of a nuanced evaluation about the role that 911 calls play and whether ShotSpotter sends cops to how many more shootings that come just from 911. Um, I think it's a lot more. So that may have part of it. But anyways, let's look at a couple images here from the um, oh, the report. Yeah, I don't have images. Okay, so we won't be looking at them. Let me just give you some numbers. Um, part of what the MacArthur Justice Center is doing is, is claiming every time there isn't a, the big flaw in the studies, they say every time there's not a police report filled, every time that Shot spotter says there was gunfire and the police respond. There's a call for service generated. That's what it's called. Every time there's a call for service, but there isn't a matching crime incident report for gunfire 
or arrest report for gunfire, that gunshot did not occur. There was no gunshot. And that's just not right. It isn't. There are many, many, I would fact most, if not the vast majority, if not 80, 90% normally, of shootings where there is a shooting and if the person isn't hit, sometimes even when the person is hit, but if the person isn't hit, both the shooter and the victim in that case, in that incident, they're gone. They're not waiting around for police to show up. They don't want to interact with police. So to say every time there's a shooting that there isn't a subsequent report that that's somehow unfounded or not a shooting or not worthy of sending police to is wrong. And my big problem is that they can't figure it out with any reliability. The difference in the numbers, like, all right, shot spotter said there were the shoe meetings and this many, and we had this many police reports, so now we have this number we know are right. And that everything else where shot spotter report, sent them to a scene, said there was a shooting, sent them to the scene, and they didn't come back with a police report for a shooting or a gun-related crime. That's a that's an unfounded gunshot, and that's not true. And they can't, because this isn't really deep social science research, they can't ferret out that difference there. And that's what we really need to know. Um, that wasn't done here. I still think, you know, the research is pretty good, but that's a big problem. That isn't, that isn't it. It just isn't it. We need to know what that in-between number is. Shootings that happen that people don't stick around for. It's hard to prove, but I bet just uh, a good social science, re social science researcher could ferret that number out. Um, also, they rely on the closing code in the OEMC data. So when an officer, when someone calls 911, or for instance, let's do a 911 call, even a shot spotter, maybe the same thing here. In, in a 911 call, the operator tries to get data, get information from the caller to tell people what, to, so they can tell the cops what's going on. Oh, there's a shooting. Where's it at? Great. We're sending officers. So they give it a code or some kind of active related to shooting, right? When the cops get on the scene, at some point thereafter, not right after, by the way, depending on the scene, they may radio in, yeah, there's a shooting, there's, there's still shooting, or yes, we have a victim, so it's a bona fide shooting, or we have shell casings or whatever. But a lot of the times, there's a saying in the police department, 19 Paul closes them all, one I just learned recently, which basically is used by officers to clear a bunch of calls for service where they didn't really find anything necessarily, or nothing they deem worthy of being in a report. Um, those closing codes, which is, yes, we have an opening code. This is what OEMC or now ShotSpotter said happened. The caller said it happened. Now we need to know what exactly did the officers find. Those are notoriously unreliable in Chicago. So um, that's a problem in the research. I have issues with ShotSpotter, no doubt about it. I think it was interesting with Talafario talking about how it... Um, because it's an automatic and you don't have to wait for a person to call and then a person to take the call, get all the information and then send it to police officers, that they get it pretty much almost simultaneously. They're dispatched almost simultaneously through ShotSpotter. The cops are getting the scenes much quicker than they normally would. Eddie Johnson in that, for whatever it's worth, said five to seven minutes. I'm not sure how scientifically based that is, um, but it's at least a couple minutes probably quicker than they would have just responding to 911 calls. They're getting there to help victims. That may be true. 
Um, and I think that's worthy of consideration. I don't think I love it, but I think it's worthy of consideration when you're ripping Shot Spotter, which I think for the most part deserves to be ripped. Okay, we're going to go on to our third seg- segment. It's a new segment for us. We're going to try to run at least once a week, and it's basically social media fails. Alderman Lopez is our guy today, and he's got two entries. Here's the first one. I'll read it. Gangs endanger everyone in our communities. He's responding to someone else's tweet about how... Well, first of all, I'm going to say he's responding to Colin Boyle's tweet. Um, and Colin's tweet was, Chicago police should stop foot chases until new policy is created. Latino leaders say this has to end right now. It's a Black Cub Chicago article. Alderman Lopez says, gangs endanger everyone in our communities. They shoot and run every night, causing people to chase, causing police to chase to apprehend. Yet Latino leaders, in quotes, don't even want them chased or apprehended. Are they suffering from Stockholm Syndrome or just afraid of holding gangs accountable? Yes, everyone's afraid of holding everyone accountable except you, Alderman. No, this is, that's a fail. Um, He... Like everyone else, I should say was him and all the people that just can't stand change or reform for any reason and don't understand collateral consequences to anything um, and don't understand facts or science or data. Um, he just thinks there's absolutely no reason you wouldn't chase these guys no matter what, chase the guys or girls, these people who are supposedly committing these violence. Um... I think it's a pretty much a fail. I don't know. I think he's going to try to run in the ultra-conservative Trump party for mayor against Lightfoot, which should be a resounding loss, but it'll be fun to watch him lose that way. Here's our next one from Alderman Lopez. He, I said he's got a twofer. Um, here's Aaron Haggerty. Um, the joint meeting of, and this is Aaron Haggerty's uh, tweet that Alderman Lopez responds us to. The joint meeting of the Committee on Health and Human Service Relations and Public Safety is beginning now. Aldermen are scheduled to discuss strategies for reducing gun violence this summer without reliance on traditional law enforcement. Watch the live stream here. Alderman Lopez responds in another tweet that says, This resolution blames COVID, police mistrust, and lack of faith in city government causes for homicides in Chicago. My question is simple. What about parents? When are we going to address the part... Deficient families and poor parenting plays in violence. This is the root cause. As if, I don't think a root cause hit Alderman Lopez in the face. He would have a clue about it. He certainly wouldn't notice it. Reality is, Alderman Lopez, you and your colleagues have failed your community and all the South and West Side communities so badly that you have created the circumstances for violence. Period. End of statement. Look in the mirror and take some personal responsibility. Um, Corruption among your ranks. Your economic votes of robbing and stealing and thieving from communities of color and sticking it in the loop, and especially on Michigan Avenue and all these tiffs, have created these circumstances. But if you want to be the Fox News of Chicago, if you want to be the Tucker Carlson of Chicago, you're welcome to it. We're going to have a lot of fun watching you fail at that. I'm not sure where you think this is taking you. Um... But of course, since you want no responsibility for anything you ever do, and none of your votes and none of your colleagues' votes, you're going to blame parents, which everyone does. Wow, that's a scapegoat right out of Ronald Reagan's playbook. Congratulations. Look in the mirror. Look at the votes and your financial, your economic votes in the city council. 
and what impact they've had on these communities. Um, it's political op opportunism at, at its uh, worst. Um, he's pointing fingers, um, like, like his mayor, like his mayor does. Lightfoot's very good at pointing fingers too. Um, so we're going to keep up the new segment on social media fails as we go along here. Um, yeah, here's our next segment. This is an article from the Guardian newspaper. Well, Guardian website, I guess I should say. She doesn't want the drama. Anger at Chicago mayor comes up short on police reform. Yeah, I know Lori Lightfoot is just such, she's been such a disappointment. Left, right, and center on this. She is 720 days in and she's scoring a goose egg on police reform. Community commission? Nope. Foot pursuit policy? Nope. New warrant reforms? Nope. As I said to a colleague earlier today, or two colleagues actually, one a journalist and one a um, longtime lawyer, nonprofit person. What's the difference here between her and Rahm Emanuel? As far as policing and reform, I don't see any. Brown is just the guy that Rahm would have brought in. This is he's not a revolutionary choice by any stretch. Um, you know, I don't know. What is she? She's pursuing the consent decree. Great, they had they came, the consent decree came in under Rom. That you didn't bring it in. You're just managing it and not managing it well by the looks of what happened, right? And, and you have to remember, ladies and gentlemen, she was the head of the Office of Professional Standards in the early 2000s, the head of the police board in the early uh, 2010s, and in 2017, 18, if I got the numbers right. She was head of the Police Accountability Task Force. Yes, that was, I think it got actually started in late 2015 in uh, response to the Laquan McDonald uh, murder or videotape coming out. Not the murder, the murder was a year before. Um, but she had all of that in 720 days into her administration. <laughs> as mayor, she's scoring a goose egg on police reform. So yeah, as the Guardian says, she's massively coming up short on police reform. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a one-minute break here, give you some information about our nation program, and we'll be back talking about vaccines in the Chicago Police Department, or should I say lack of vaccines. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today, CJP Nation. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so we're talking about an article from the ABC7 Chicago, Chicago Police Vaccination Rate Raised Concerns About COVID Vaccine Hesitancy in the Force. So what we're talking about is several thousand government employees <laughs> 
Um, don't trust the government to produce or tell them the truth about vaccines. Let that one sink in. So they want the public to have faith in their ability to have license to kill and prosecute and arrest. Oh, I should say arrest and get you prosecuted, right? But they have like, the only beings in Chicago that have the license to use force against you. The only ones. Where do they get that license? The government. So you're supposed to have full faith in the police. Just no one else in the justice system because they're all horrible. According uh, talking about our uh, police union president and the union members. So this government, this set of government employees, thousands and thousands of them, don't want to get the vaccine because they don't trust government or science or anything else like that, even though they're government. Then they're part of government. The only people who have the ability to use force on you any day, every day, they're it. But we're supposed to trust them. And they don't understand why communities don't trust them. What? You don't believe the rest of government. Why are we going to believe you? For me, what I don't understand is why they're able to be on the job without a vaccine. There should just be an order. It's May 1st, June 1st. You don't have a vaccine, you lose your job. That's it. You're gone. You can't work without a vaccine. You're a first responder. You have to get it, period. I don't understand what this is. How are they getting a choice not to take it? That's one side. Here's the other side to this. This is the kind of conspiracy thinking, right, that leads to the insurrection. Which, by the way, I'm coming to you from D.C. I'm a mile from it. I'm a mile both equal distance almost from the White House to the Capitol. Insurrectionists were parking outside our building, staying in the hotel next to us. They were standing in the street that night all geared up. That's what leads to that. That's why there are so many police and ex-military that were arrested in part of that and being uncovered as part of the Proud Boys and a white supremacist. The people in the government with the power to kill you don't understand how the public could distrust them and their use of force, deadly lethal force. Yet when it comes to them trusting government over them, like higher level of government, and producing a vaccine and getting these shots and getting it distributed and doing what's right, they don't. What is going on for this? What is going on with that? I don't understand. But this is, when you talk about the, we're talking about the purging of white supremacists and that type of thinking from our military, it also needs to be purged from our police departments. This is it. You don't, and one way to do it, you don't want a vaccine, we totally understand. You can't be a cop. You're out though. Bye-bye. They should fire them all. Sorry, you're a government employee, you're a first responder, you have to be there. Go. I'm sorry, I have, I have no sympathy for that. If you can't get the vaccine for a medical reason, by all means, we understand. There are a small percentage of Americans that's going to happen to, and we totally get it. But just because you don't trust government, sorry. You're the government, dude. Get the shot. It's crazy. It's okay for me not to trust the government, but for you not to trust the government, which is me, that's unheard of and unbelievable.
<laughs> the hypocrisy is into this is rank. Oversight for all of us, them doing oversight on us is fine. Us doing oversight on them or any other form of government, level of government doing oversight on them. Totally un unbelievable. It is, you can't make this stuff up, that is for sure. Okay, let's go on to our next segment. This is a story out of the Chicago Reader. And it's an interesting story, somewhat. And it talks about the politics affair is the title. Politics affair. Are, are youth really to blame for the carjacking spike? Well, I'm not sure if they do a great job dismissing that, but let me give you some stats from the article. In 2020, there were 1,400 carjackings. 800 more than in 2019. There's a 133% increase from the year before. There were 1,127 arrests for, for car vehicle hijacking. Related to car vehicle hijacking is what it should tangentially. What happened? What do you mean? Well, 84% of those arrests are actually for criminal trespass. What do you mean? This is something that I learned several years ago now actually we lived there six years yeah so it's it's been a few we got hit on the, one of my birthdays four or five years ago maybe more six years ago um hit and run outside of margie's candy so having some ice cream on my birthday on western there it was a hit and run and i couldn't id the person i had a general idea what they looked like but a bunch of us saw it and we all had different versions of what the person looked like that hit us he lost a wheel parked in the car um, parked the parallel parked without a, a wheel. They found the car. The person reported the car stolen the next day. And basically what we found out is that we couldn't, we couldn't prosecute the person unless someone could swear that the owner of the car was the person driving it, or the, we could identify the person driving it who we believe was the owner. And none of us could, right? And that's what's going on with these, um, carjacking arrests so you get carjacked especially in 2020 people are masked up they have a hood on or something like that you can't you have a gun in your face you're not looking you can't id them in the five seconds of that there's no way not certainly not positively for court so when they catch you in a stolen car and they can't prove you're the person that stuck the gun in the person's face to steal the car you're not the one who jacked them all they can get you for is criminal trespass to property That's it. They can't get you for the carjacking. Who's going to testify that you did it? Well, your fingerprints are in the car. Of course they are, dude. I found the car on the side of the road with the keys in it, and I took it for a joyride. Okay. Let's get back a little bit to the age. 15 to 20-year-olds, that age group, are the largest age group. So the most were in there of any, any individual age group. But half of the people total were over 20. Okay, yeah, I could see that. It's kind of a false narrative a little bit about teens driving it. Um, one of the realities is... Um, I think what the, the police did, and they point out in the article a little bit, there was this connection drawn between idle teens 
teens not in school because there was virtual learning. There was some no learning for a while during the summer of last year and then virtual learning. Teens not in school unless they were um, driving the, car, the uh, carjacking spike. And they point out in the article to their credit, which I agree with, part of this is the fact that there just isn't any opportunities for all other a bunch of other types of crimes. Robberies that were down. There's all kinds of crimes that plummeted because there just isn't the opportunity, the environment to do them because no one's out on the streets. No one's commuting back and forth to work. No one's out on the weekend nights partying it up, having dinner, drinks, bars, theater, none of that. It was all stopped. People were staying home. And on top of people staying home, there was no more opportunity to commit burglaries. So they, it was those crimes, if people were going to keep committing, if they were looking to commit to something, they were going to have to find new avenues, especially those that are stealing for their, um, stealing for their livelihood, they were going to have to find another avenue. Carjackings was one of them. Um, I think the article is pretty good. Um, you know, some of the, some of the stuff is, you know, a little iffy here or there, but. Um, it was interesting they talked about, and this makes sense to me, if they're going to make an arrest, it was mostly on the same day. Of course, because the car, according to the police, after a few hours, most cars get dumped. Now, the police said something about, straight to my last point about the article, this is a lot. The police got caught in a lie. Most of the cars are being returned to their owners. That's interesting because CBS News some time ago had a report that only 12% were returned to owners. That is in most of them. Ain't even close. Ain't even close. Just 12%. Um, so the article does a pretty good job in dispelling the myth about the youth. Um, I don't doubt that youth played some role in the spike, but I think the bigger point to this is just that that they made in the article, but I don't think played up enough. I think it was a little too focused on, on crime analysis, uh, data analysis, um, was just the fact that there were so few opportunities to commit robberies and other types of crime that if you were doing it for a living or to feed drug habit or whatever, you just didn't have the opportunity. So there were a few opportunities to have. Jackings was one of them. Um, and at the same time, carjacking, skyrocketed car thefts to some agreed unattended car thefts, where cars alone on the street parked, dropped. Shocking. So I think that part of the article was really good. I think it should have been played up more, but it was an interesting one. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to our last segment of the day. And this is so unbelievably infuriating. So this is an article from Fox 32 Chicago. It is, I say article because there's not really a news story in that there is no video related to this. This is something for their website, and it's god-awful. And I'm very curious whether a human wrote this or whether it was written by a machine. I know some time ago there was a project in the, um, like some kind of partnership between the engineering and the journalism department at Northwestern where they're trying to train algorithms to write news stories like you could pump some data in and they would write it. Um, so anyways, two men indicted in Chicago for allegedly, allegedly, wow, trafficking firearms. What's wrong with this story? Not a single source is quoted in the story. 
They didn't make a single phone call. Not one. Not one. They also don't have a journalist. It's Fox 32 news staff. No one's, who wrote the article? Was it written by a machine? Or was it some like intern they didn't want to give credit to? Because basically it's just either they're picking things out of the indictment to talk about or they're picking things out of the, um, they're picking things out of the um, press release. It's about some dopes or dope or dopes um, advertising on Facebook that they're going to Georgia to buy guns and they want people to buy sticks and they want people to send them bread. Hurry up, I got people who've already got some of the sticks. So if you want some bread, you're really going to have to send me the sticks soon. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out what the news value is in this story. I, I can't. There may have been a story on it if they did some research and journalism into the work, but the reality is I don't care about some idiot, one idiot or two idiots, doing a uh, mom-and-pop uh, gun trafficking thing. That makes, I mean, the guy's an idiot for putting it on Facebook. They didn't think it was going to be found. That I don't think this story has any, um, I don't think it has any news value at all. It should have never been published. But you're talking about, you know, Stretch new staffs, and why not have, I don't know, it could have been a computer. It would be really interesting if it was a computer. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, real quickly, we will be back on Friday as planned, 5.30 Central, talking about the resignation of Sydney Roberts, Chief Administrator of the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, which happened today. Uh, we're talking about Kim Fox releasing an internal investigation into what happened in the Adam Toledo bond hearing and how the second in charge left the office and about the new deputy chief of staff, public safety, John O'Malley being appointed. And um, we're going to look not on Friday, but in the coming weeks at his um, votes on the police board. So thank you so much. If you have ideas for the show, topics you want us to cover, people you want us to interview, please hit us up at info at chicagojustice.org or any of the social media platforms you are watching this on. Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can hit us there in the comments um, and we will uh, see if we can accommodate your request. Thank you so much. Have a great night.